The Solid 7 Podcast is fueled by Jocko Go. Engineered for anyone who wants to get after it in life, pre-meeting, pre-testing, pre-negotiation, or pre-mission. If you're looking for an extra cognitive or physical edge, Jocko Go is your force multiplier. With 95 milligrams of caffeine and zero sugar, the keto-friendly Jocko Go will give you a physical and cognitive boost without the crash that you experience with average energy drinks. Visit JockoFuel.com today, and you can use our promo code SOLID7, that's S-O-L-I-D-7, to get 10% off your order. Get on the path and get after it. Oh, and because lawyers exist, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and this product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode of the Solid 7 Podcast is brought to you by Hit and Skins. Hit and Skins is Central Florida's premier custom branding company, offering high-quality custom apparel, design, signage, vehicle wraps, and much more. With over 15 years of experience, they have the expertise to take your project from concept to finished product. And their exceptional service and attention to detail mean your project will turn out just like you imagined or better. Visit hittenskins.com today. That's H-I-T-T-N-S-K-I-N-S.com. And let them get to work on the branding you deserve. The Solid 7 Podcast is a proud affiliate of GORUCK. GORUCK designs and builds the toughest gear on the planet, tested and proven at thousands of GORUCK events held all over the world and led by current and former Special Forces combat veterans. The GORUCK brand stands for Building Better Americans, the Special Forces way of life, and a life-or-death approach to building the world's toughest gear. Visit Solid7Podcast.com and click on the GORUCK link to learn more about their gear and events and a portion of every purchase and every event registration you make will go to support us here at the Solid 7 Podcast. Well, hello, world, and welcome back once again to a Solid 7 Podcast, a better-than-average podcast. Which feels odd to say tonight. I'll explain why, but uh, we're not a show about nothing, but also not a show about any one thing. Each week I sit down with a guest and we talk about whatever's going on in the world that interests us. And this week I am happy to welcome host of the Judberg podcast, Fran Rachopi. What's up, buddy? Hey, I, I love your bumper music, man. That's sick. Like we just redid ours, so I, I, I agree with your statement that you love it possibly more than you should because I had them do a 10-minute track. Dang. In the, I had, this guy, Ian McGlynn, produced it for us, and uh, I'm rocking out to it all the time. Yeah. No, it's it's the best. We've talked about punching uh, this one up because it's just uh, this is just from a buddy of mine just propping his iPhone up and plugging into his amp and going for it. He gave me like uh, five little stings. And this was the best of them. So we've talked about, uh, you know, adding some other instruments. And uh, I've come across a lady through my uh, mild-mannered daytime job that has, like, the perfect English accent, like the perfect one. Like, could I get you just to say, like, three or four words in your accent for me? She's like, yeah, people ask for it all the time for voicemail and whatever. I'm like, well, this is for a podcast. I'm like, but... I'm like, I'm only to get you like a Starbucks gift card or something. She's like, nah, don't worry about it. So we'll, we'll see. Maybe some British woman will start to intro the show. But, uh, well, <laughs> that's, hey, look, but, that's good payment. I'll do it for a Starbucks gift card. Why not? Well, now it's, uh, I assume based on your locale, you would prefer a, a Dunkin' Donuts gift card though now. Yeah. Uh, every single day. Uh, I don't, look, people 
and, I, and I'm going to say this probably get me in trouble. People will, uh, they rave by Starbucks, but it's become an institution. You know, it's an institution more than it's good coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the experience of going there that you really like. Whereas you, know, you go into Dunkin' Donuts, you're liable to get in a fight on the way out, but at least the coffee is good. I feel like you have to know too much about your drink and Dunkin'. Like if I'm going to Starbucks, I can just say what I want and they'll just make it. I feel like I have to provide too much instruction at Dunkin' Donuts. So that might just be lazy. I, see, I think it's the opposite. I think you just go in there and you tell me you want a hot regular and it comes with cream. That's fair. Now, I mean, that's if I have to buy coffee at and home. Sugar. At home, I brew Black Rifle like a good American does. Uh, <laughs> but if, I, if I'm out and about, it's, it's usually Starbucks. Duncan, it, it is a roast thing. Duncan doesn't do it for me, but I don't judge anybody who's, who's into it. So uh, it's... Uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's a it's a personal preference thing. It's too molassesy for me at uh, at Dunkin'. That's my take. Yeah, you heard it See, first. Your 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 coffee uh, connoisseur is far above my level. So <laughs> and plus, you just throw it throw it on ice, make it iced coffee. It yeah, all tastes the same fair. anyway, so it doesn't matter. It's it's all moot here at the South Seven Podcast, where we are, of course, fueled by uh, Jocko Go. So I, it's you know. No, no coffee for the pot. It's all. Oh yeah, Jacko Go. Did you, you get a, you, a little delivery I got, today? I, I got it for you today. Came came in the mail late this evening, and uh, sour apple sniper. Now, have you ever had? Real a, energy have zero you had crash. a Jacko Go? No, I never had one of these. Well, so just, see, I got the I got the coffee over here. Well, let's. Uh, you want me to drink this? Yeah, I'll, I think I think at least a sip. Drink. You don't have to down the whole thing. You're going to want to. Now, I think I saw the top of your can. I think it says new and improved. So you have uh, you have one of the new flavor profiles, but uh, oh, so there's some old ones out in the market there that you might. They, uh, I actually, I had their uh, <laughs> chief product officer on one of their co-founders uh, for Jocko Fuel on here recently, Brian Littlefield, and uh, uh, he was breaking it down for us. They've spent like six months, like just just turning it up to eleven on all of their existing flavors, and then they have some uh, some new ones dropping. But uh, cheers, give it a go. Yeah, not too bad. Definitely tastes like apple. Sour apple. Yeah, it's a, that's a straight up Jolly Rancher in a can right there. Mm-hmm. But it's not their their stick. Like it's you don't have to feel bad about drinking it. Like there's it's not a guilty pleasure. It's just a pleasure. It's all actually good for you. It's like uh monk fruit and some electrolytes and some aminos and some vitamin B. A little bit of caffeine, like like one cup, like ninety five milligrams. So it's not Yeah, it's not that bad. It, it, yeah. It wasn't bad, yeah. So the um it's 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 not as harsh as like a a rock star or a monster. Or yeah, something. no, not at all. Well, and then uh, you gotta love which uh, we'll get into kind of kind of your background here. But their new flavor coming out is uh, it's pink lemonade, but true to form for them, it's it's actually pink mist lemonade, which is freaking ah, genius. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just well done. So, well, you and I uh, we met way we go way 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 back to uh, April. Uh, out. Yeah, long time ago, <laughs> all the way back. It's like <laughs> yet yesterday, but forever yes. ago, if you ask me. To uh, to Sandlot Jackson, all the best connections come through Gorak. That's what I always say. And uh, it was funny because you know we were you know we're kind of shared friends with the the team over there at Gorak and Jason and Emily, and, and they're they're great. And so we spent a lot of time here on on the South Seven Podcast promoting Sandlot Jacks, encouraging people to go out. And our version of like really really doing it up for Sandlot Jacks was like we got some solid Seven Podcast shirts, 
and all of us that were out at the event, we were wearing the shirts and, and pushing the podcast. Your version of going all out for Sandlot Jacks was to track down a World War II British ambulance <laughs> and to uh, build a podcast studio in the back of it and proceed to podcast with every single big name on the property for all three days. Oh, it was like two and a half days. <laughs> only, only two and a half? <laughs> only two and a half days. Yeah, we did... Uh... I did 12 episodes in two and a half days. Gosh. I was absolutely smoked. Um, we did, uh, I think we did six, six short, uh, long form and we did six short, uh, six short form. And, uh, yeah, what we did is we partnered with, um, a company called the readiness collective and, uh, they're up here in Connecticut and they do training for emergency response. And actually they were not with us. Uh, they had one representative who was with us, but the the primary team actually was supposed to come and do an activation with us, but they were in Ukraine and uh, in Poland uh, training after the Russians invaded. So they actually didn't make it out there with us, but we, we partnered with them and we're developing a more long-term relationship. And yeah, we borrowed their Land Rover. Uh, it's a World War II Land Rover ambulance defender used by the British Royal Air Force in World War II, the, um, it was on loan to them from uh, Jaguar Land Rover of Fairfield, uh, Fairfield County up here in Connecticut. And yeah, they let us tow it down there. I had to insure it. Uh, so I had to make sure I did that. And I rented a trailer, towed it down with my truck, GMC AT, AT4 1500, um, best truck and best thing I've ever bought. So that's my plug for GMC because <laughs> uh, the thing's a, a diesel. It's like a, yeah. it's like a baby diesel that they put in this thing. And uh, it's a, it's a 1500 and it has a 10,000 pound towing capacity. That's crazy. Um, and I mean, we're always moving at 85 the whole way. Well, down, see, my next question down, was, uh, was going to be, have you, sick. have you ever driven so careful in all your life? But evidently no, just, uh, <laughs> Hey, you can drive at 85 the, and be careful. The, the ambulance about? is insured. I left at 9 o'clock at night. <laughs> oh, uh, I got insurance on this Yeah, why, why not? <laughs> so but Yeah, we took it down there. We set it all up. We had uh, we had this big um, booth wall made that we've subsequently used in a number of events and we'll continue to do so. Yeah. And uh, we set up this activation there and I kind of – had briefed Jason on it a few weeks before and everyone was like, I don't really understand what you're talking about. And I put together this whole deck. It was, it was like a, it was like a 16 page slide deck that laid out exactly what we were doing, what it was going to look like. And I don't think anybody believed me Yeah. until we showed up down there with this thing. And everyone's like, what are you doing with that? I'm like, Oh, there's a podcast studio in the back of this thing. And, uh, and then it was, it was a draw. Yeah. It was, it was a huge draw and I uh, couldn't have been more thankful for, for an appreciative of what the go ruck team had done down there and putting that thing together, the support they gave us and then working with us you know, to, to, to grab a number of the guests and, uh, and get them all in there and have some really insightful conversations. Yeah, no, it all, it all turned out awesome. And it was uh, one of just many things that you did that weekend where I'm like, yeah, if I was better at this, I, I probably would have thought of that. I recorded with uh, Sarah Wilkinson a few weeks after that, which you had her uh, on. I think she did a couple uh, stints with you. Was she, was she in with once well, we with had Sarah on in the lead up? So right. the way we approached it was that I did a, I did a three or four week lead up to the actual event. So we had recorded the, so we went out to California, we interviewed and I interviewed um, Jason Kalipa at NC fit 
um, in outside of San Francisco. So went to his gym, spent the day with him. He smoked me <laughs> in a workout that he had me do after we after we did the interview. And then we did Sarah Wilkinson, we did Jason McCarthy, and then we rolled and we released those in the roll up um, in, in the lead up right. to the event. And then we went into the event. And so we actually had um, Sarah on, told her story, talked about Chad, Chad 1000X, everything she's doing in CrossFit, mental health, the, the, the call to end uh, veteran suicide mm -hmm. and, and bring awareness to that cause. And her and I struck up a friendship and when, and I said, well, when we go, and I didn't even plan to do it, but when we were in the episode with her, and I think it's, uh, I think it's 50, I think it's like 55, I think. Um, in the episode with her, we were towards the end and I was so moved by her story that I didn't, it just came out. Yeah. And I was like, Sarah, I have a question for you. And she's like, yes. Like, will you do Chad 1000X with me when we go down to Sandlot? And she was like, absolutely. And then after that, I'm like, what did I do? Oh my God. <laughs> and, but we did, we set it up. And the second day down there, we did Chad 1000X with Sarah. Um, we did it right in front of our our setup out there. There was a perfect little bench. Yeah. That, uh, my whole team did it with her and it was and it was awesome. It was great. It was an absolute great time. Um, and then something where we could, we could honor her story, honor Chad and continue to bring awareness to, to fight this you know, horrible, horrible, um, fact that we deal with yeah. and this, and that's veteran suicide. And we have to continue to bring awareness to that. And we just did an event this last weekend, um, actually, well, two weekends ago now, uh, for sale ahead, which is an organization that I'm the, I'm involved in, uh, very deeply and we teach veterans how to sail as an alternative means to treat uh, PTS and mental health and bring awareness to what we call our mates. And that's the, yeah. the, that's the, our goal to, to save as many of the 22 a day as we can. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's, it's cool to see um, some progress. Like I, I, if I remember right from, from sitting down with Sarah myself, the, the number has come down some Do I think what she quoted to me was 17 a day now. I think it's 17. Yeah. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Um, I got in, uh, I had a, had a previous guest on, I'll, I'll go unnamed right now. Uh, but we had quoted him, um, in one of our, in, in one of our promos and, uh, and we got a call from SOCOM, uh, very upset. And I was like, Oh my God, I've, I've pissed off SOCOM. Like either I'm doing something really well. Yeah. Um, but I also don't really need to alienate, you know, SOCOM on this. Cause like they're a big, big audience for yeah. us. And, uh, and they were challenging some of the numbers. And, and so I immediately, it was like six 30 in the morning and I called this guy up and I was like, bro, where did you get these numbers? Like I need, I, you know, like you, you said on the podcast, you know, look, it's, we verify some of this stuff, but like, I need your source. And he gave me the source and it was a SOCOM report. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so freaking I had to fantastic. go back and, and explain to them that, Hey, this is like your report. Uh, and they're like, well, it's outdated. I'm like, and I said, well, have you released another one since? And they're like, no. I'm like, well then how, I mean, yeah, maybe it's time to release another one, but yeah, the number 17. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what, that's what they're going with right now. I yeah. Think. 
So I'm still too many. Yeah. 17 yeah. too many. So I, I'm sitting down with uh, Sarah. I'm still on this thread about you being a significantly better podcaster than me. And, uh, and maybe just better human being in general. It's all relative. But, uh, Some people think I suck. So, so I got a chance to, <laughs> I got a chance to sit down with her. It was a couple of weeks later. She was, she was back down in Florida in Tampa and I, I made the trip over there and got to sit down with her. And so we were talking about saying that we were talking about recording with you. She's like, yeah, I did Chad, uh, you know, with them out there. Like, yeah, there's another one I, I, I probably would have thought of. I was just just better at this. <laughs> so uh, just just jealousy and, and coveting all the way around from uh, from your uh, your Sandlot output. It, it, no, it was it was awesome, man. I enjoyed the content. It was cool meeting you and the, the team out there. And you had a great team uh, out with you. But uh, you had a you've taken a circuitous route to the uh, the world of podcasting, which I feel like is the is the case for. Uh, for most people, but what's, uh, what's, what's the origin story? You're, uh, are you like a, you're in the Northeast now. Are you like a, a legit, no, what's the correct term even North, Northeasterner, Bostonian? Or, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a New Englander. Okay. All that's right. what I will, New, that, that's what I'll say. It's a New Englander. Yeah. I was, so I was born in Rhode Island. Uh, there's not that many of us who are from up there. And, um, that, and then I spent some time growing up down in Florida, couple of stints actually down in Florida, back to Rhode Island. And then eventually for middle school and high school, I went to school outside of Boston, uh, about 15 minutes outside of Boston. Okay. And then I went to undergraduate at Boston University. Where, where at, where are you guys up there? I've got, I've done, I'm a huge history buff. So I've, I love Boston. I love to come up and walk the freedom trail and like, I really nerd out on it. Uh, but we've got some that's close where friends. It started. Oh yeah. You know, like that's, that, that's okay. America. That's where it all started. You know, like everybody yeah. thinks it was New York and, you know, and, and everybody wants to run around waving flags of freedom. Like that's where it started. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just, the uh, last week we're going to release it on nine 11. Um, I had a chance to go and sit down with the Boston Fire Department. And the motto of the Boston Fire Department is first in the nation because they were the first. And we talked, and so the there's a guy named Sam Dillon. He was a Marine. Um, he was uh, awarded the, the Purple Heart for wounds sustained in Afghanistan when he was shot in the chest. And he has now recently been elected the president of local 718, which is the fire department's union, the firefighter union in Boston. So I interviewed him and then I brought in two Green Berets and one former army officer. Um, the army officer being one of my best friends, one of my first friends in the army, all of us from Boston, all of them firefighters now, all serving on the same truck, tower, tower ladder 10, out of Jamaica Plain, and we had a big round, ta round table discussion about a lifetime of service to others. That's uh, awesome. And what service to the nation looks like, and what it's like to be there at the institution of the Boston Fire Department, which has led from the 16th. I, I, I recounted the history. Uh, I don't have my notes in front of me, although they're over there, but I went down the history of the of the boston fire department and it's like 16 something yeah. it's like the first the first time where they were like you know we have a commissioned a fire wagon uh, and so we talked about that and what it means to be a, a boston fire department so um, when they when a they, firefighter there when they did that that was an actual that was uh that was legitimately like uh public or city that wasn't like a fire insurance company oh no it was like it was commissioned as the as a fire department with yeah. a fire commissioner. 
That's awesome. One of the things that I love that's unique up there that you've got to kind of get off of the the tourist history path for is the old fire stations that are legitimate old fire stations. Like you can't get it anywhere else where they were used with like the carriage wagons. So they have custom fire trucks built to fit in these things because the archways aren't big enough for the modern vehicles. And they're so freaking cool. Yeah, Yeah, it's one of Boylston Street. It's a very famous one. But we actually... um, we we were actually going to record in one of the older ones and then it was a last minute about an hour before we switched over to the brand new one the newest one it was just completed absolutely beautiful yeah I mean, completely 100 modern uh absolutely beautiful tons and tons of equipment in there and so we had a great great time spending with those guys true true heroes um and uh, i was just really impressed and, and very jealous yeah. And I told him that at the end. No, that's that's awesome. That's gonna be killer content. So looking forward to that one. So so elementary so middle school, high school up there, college in Boston. What'd you go to school for? Well, so that's the circuitous route, right? <laughs> you know, my goal and and now I have to date myself a little bit. Uh podcast didn't exist when I was an undergrad. <laughs> in fact, when I was an undergrad, we still had real journalists, you know, like and I mean, we have real journalists now, don't get me wrong, but I mean, the preponderance of reporters were classified themselves as journalists. They were not political commentators yeah. they did not inject their own opinion they didn't uh, pontificate and pass that off as the news not that there's anything wrong with that um there's there's a time and a place for that in my mind yeah. and there's an opportunity where you know you can get up and i learned this lesson from bill o'reilly uh when bill o'reilly came and spoke and he's a graduate of boston university's uh, he's a grad student graduate yeah. um, at school of communications and he first thing he said to the group he said i'm not a reporter, I'm a political commentator. And therefore I inject my opinion into everything I'm saying. And when you watch me, you need to know that. And I thought that that was so important yeah, because that has been lost over the last 20 years. Oh yeah. Uh, and so, and if you look back, you know, and you, you could, and you used to be able, they used to have a law, you know, that afforded equal time to, to each side of arguments. Um, and, uh, and, and we have come a long way from those days, but my goal was to be a, uh, was to be a reporter and be a journalist. Like, and, uh, then nine eleven happened yeah. and I was like, ah, screw that. <laughs> I can go make the news. <laughs> was that, uh, so nine eleven hit, was that while you were in school? That was after. Yeah, it was my junior year. Uh, and so then actually, and actually after nine 11, I was like, you know, I'm going to be a war correspondent. Cause at first I was like, I'm going to be a TV anchor. You know, yeah. I saw like Tom Brokaw and my dream is to interview Tom Brokaw. I have a couple of lines in the water right now trying to figure out how I make that happen. Um, but he was my hero. He yeah. was my mentor. Uh, you know, not that I ever met him as much as, you know, but people, you can have a mentor that you never met. I tell people that all the time. Um, but I looked up to him so much and I was like, I'm going to be a network news anchor. Uh, and then 9-11 happened and I was like, I'm going to be a war correspondent. And then I watched these war correspondents and I was like, nope, <laughs> I'm going to be the other guy because that guy's on a horse and he has long hair and he's got a beard and he's dropping bombs on bad guys who wish to do us harm. And uh, I want to be one of those guys. Yeah, the whole horse horse soldier thing really kind of sells itself. You really don't you don't need a voiceover on that commercial. 
Just, no. uh, <laughs> no, that's hey, it. You should hey, put them out there. You want to, you want to come do this? Like we had, uh, Dan Skidmore from, uh, Kendry DS from, from go rug mm-hmm. on a while back ago, they had a training and, uh, he's, uh, he was, uh, air force special forces. What is it? C C T T or C the, mm-hmm. the non, the non PJ, right. The other side, the, yeah. and he's like, he's like, basically the, the pitch was, do you, you want to, you want to go save people or you want to, you want to blow some stuff up? Like, well, kind of like to blow some stuff up. <laughs> So it's like, all right, well, let's, uh, let's go do that. I'm like, dude, if that's the sales pitch, how is anybody ever going to the PJ side of the house? But, <laughs> but I mean, those are, those are bad dudes in, in their own right. PJs are freaking awesome. But so then uh, you, what, what do you do? You're like, all right, well, uh, school's done. I'm where's the nearest recruiting uh, office. Yeah, I was, I was, so I had a scholarship for rowing. Uh, I was on the, the men's rowing team and actually sent them, sent them above my head. If you, anyone who sees the pictures or, or whatnot, we'll see that, uh, I've had my boss university or, uh, that's sitting above me. And, and now I'm fortunate enough to work with the, the coaching staff and the athletes on performance development and, and building a, a performance mindset. Um, and it's truly an honor to be able to get back to that program. But we, uh, I couldn't do ROTC or do, you know, any, any sort of involvement with the military, uh, just due to the time requirements. And so I, I said, well, I'm going to go down to the recruiting station and I'm going to tell them I want to go to officer candidate school. And I started talking to some people who I, only people I knew who were in the military. And, and I said, well, how do I do this? And what would it look like? And I went down to the recruiter and they were like, well, no, you know, you can enlist right here and, you know, be gone in two weeks. I'm like, no, I kind of want to go to officer candidate school. And so let's just do that or I'll go somewhere else. And the guy was like, okay, we can make that happen. And uh, so I had to go through the application process and do the screening for that. And I was luckily I, I had, I was selected uh, and for officer candidate school. And so a couple of months after I graduated, I went to I went down to Fort Benning and spent the next 18 months at Fort Benning uh, going through all the initial training to become an infantry officer. So what's does that start with like a standard basic and then it just continues on beyond there? What's the process? Yeah, so nine weeks at basic training and then uh, was it 12 weeks, 12 or 14 weeks at officer candidate school. Uh, We had three days off in between. Um, And then I went to... uh, then I went to the infantry officer basic course, uh, which was uh, four months, so 16 weeks there. I went to ranger school. Um, after that, I went to the airborne, I went to airborne school. I went to, of course, for the Bradley fighting vehicle, which is what mechanized infantry uses, both the old M2A2 version and then the M2A3 version, which was the new one that was field, being fielded back then. And then I went to a school called RSLIC, the reconnaissance leaders, reconnaissance and surveillance leaders course. And then, then I was out of purgatory. I went to fourth infantry division in Fort Carson, Colorado. Uh, is the, is the Bradley the one that was a giant politician pet project pile of crap? No, the Bradley was, is a, is a bad vehicle, <laughs> bad in like it's a, right, right. It's a, it's a real, it's a, it's a real combat enabler. Um, it's like a mini tank, uh, but you put, you can, you can put six, six guys in the back of it. So it's a tracked armored vehicle that has a 25 millimeter main gun and a, and then a seven, six, two, um, auxiliary machine gun, um, that sit on the turret and then, and then it carries two tow missiles. Nice. 
So I'd be lying if I said we didn't use them. So, you know, just a, a party bus. <laughs> That's it. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a party bus. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's me. I mean, they, you know, like they were pretty feared. You know, yeah. I mean, that was the thing about you know, going to Iraq. And then, I mean, they, in a lot of respects, we had we had certain you know areas where where we would go into where they feared the Bradley more than they feared feared the tank. Yeah, because the you know, the M one A one Abrams tank is the what finest piece of mechanized machinery in the world's ever seen. Yeah, but. Uh, uh, but you're shooting, you know, it has a machine gun, it has a 120 millimeter main gun, uh, which is dev- absolutely devastating, yeah. absolutely devastating and so precise. Um, but nobody's getting out of the back of that thing. Yeah. And when you come in with the Bradley, it's a two, it's a two full punch where you're going to get hit with the, with the weaponry and then a whole bunch of really pissed off dudes are going to jump out the back and chase you down. There's a, one of our regulars here on the podcast. Uh, my, my buddy, Mike, he was a, a Cav guy and uh, enlisted uh, three tours in Iraq. Just awesome dude, thoroughly squared away. And there was something that there was a vehicle he hated, but I can't, you know, all of us uh, non prior service guys, we get thrown off by all the acronyms and the uh, identifier stuff. So I can't remember exactly what it was, but, the, the I, one of my favorite things, video footage wise, of any military equipment is watching an Abrams move at full speed while the turret's tracking. It's like magic. Oh, yeah. it's that's unbelievable. I'm like, mm-hmm. how is that a thing that can be done? Yeah, yeah. There's an amazing uh, shock absorbing system. I mean, number one in the in in the actual track system itself, and then the uh, the stabilization system on the on on the the site itself is pretty amazing yeah. so now, uh you included uh, ranger school in the list there now again you know non-prior service guy understanding there's like uh as i understand it there's like there's real rangers and then you know there's like n- not rangers what what delineates that where do you fall in that <laughs> spectrum do I have it right? Am uh, okay. I am I misrepresenting well, that, here? That depends on where <laughs> that depends on where you actually what your perspective is and where you come from. Listen, I would say that all my Ranger Battalion earn, facts come from Matt Best, which I think is a reliable source. Yeah. So. <laughs> if you if you I would argue that if you graduate Ranger School, you are a Army Ranger. Uh, you do need to quantify though. If you served in Ranger Battalion, uh, I do think that that is important. Now, I was the honor graduate at Ranger School, and I won the Puckett Award. Dang! Um, and uh, so that's my—that's just my perspective. You can yeah. take it for what it's worth. Uh, I might know <laughs> one or two things. Um, I did not serve in Ranger Battalion, and I do quantify that. Yeah. Uh, but I would argue that. Uh, there were a lot of people who served in Ranger Battalion in my class who didn't make it uh, or who I graduated ahead of. So, uh, you know, anyone who's going to say that you're not a Ranger, I would I would have to argue against that point. Um, but I will. But yes, if you serve in Ranger Battalion, uh, then you are, in fact, a uh, you are not what well, you are. You may or may not be what we call what is ranger qualified, and so that's really the designation. Yeah. And so, what I would always make sure to tell people about being, you know, be have being going to ranger school and being an army ranger is that I was ranger qualified. Nice, dude. Honor grad of ranger school. That's not uh, that's not an easy get. They're not just uh, they're not just throwing those things out like candy. 
No, I didn't think I was going to make it. <laughs> I wasn't worried about that. <laughs> I was worried about just trying to survive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and then they actually messed with you pretty good and told me the last day I had to go, like, meet the colonel, the regimental commander, because I had, like, done something wrong and they couldn't tell me anything about it. And I'm, like, spent a couple hours in, in a van, like, basically trying not to cry because I'm like, I can't do this again. <laughs> There's no way. And then you get there and they're like, oh, congratulations. You know, we think you deserve to be the honor graduate. I'm like, what? I just want to, I just want to make it. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. That's awesome, man. That's a pretty cool plaque I have on my wall. Yeah. I, always... I got to go. I gotta go. Now I'm trying to get Colonel Puckett. He, he just, he, he was finally awarded the medal of honor, which is, uh, which is pretty amazing and, and deservingly. So, yeah. He's about ninety something years old, and I, I need I need to get him on. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And I, you mentioned the plaque. I always get a little self conscious when I when I'm podcasting with anybody prior service because the decor is always so. I'm like, hey, here's my curtains, and you guys are like, no, nah, here's all this awesome stuff from all these things I've done. So <laughs> got it. It's all over. It's over here and camera camera left, but you can't you can't see it all here. My uh, my sister in law was uh for a long time married to uh the ubiquitous uh naval aviator he was a, a hornet mm. pilot and man those boys end up with some sweet decor <laughs> oh, yeah. and some nice uh, yeah some nice wall art so sadly that marriage didn't last and i i lost probably my best route to a, a flight in the backseat of a fighter ever so oh yeah I'm still not over That's, it yeah, yeah. I, I i would love to do that I have some, uh, my ulterior motives for starting a podcast are uh, to become friends with Jocko Willink. That's number one. I'll probably shut it down <laughs> if and when Jocko and I ever hang out, but then to get big enough to end up with a ride with the Blue Angels. So really, I bet one of those things would be. You got to step close. You got to step closer. You didn't, you said you had the guy, the, the, the guy from Jocko Fuel. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm closing the circle then. I, I count everything. Like we've shared two podcast guests, as have you have shared a couple of podcast guests with Jocko. <laughs> and then I had Brian on from, from Jocko Fuel. So we're, we're getting there. But if he ever yeah, did come on, I've had a number. Yeah. If he did come on, I, I wouldn't know what to do with myself anyway. So it's probably better <laughs> not. But so, so then, uh, yeah, uh, there, you there, ask him questions like you do everybody else. I think I could hang and, and talk with Jocko. But uh, I've got the gift of gab myself, and he's gone five hours on a couple of episodes. I uh, I don't know what yeah. what an episode of me and Jocko would actually look like, but I'd like to find out. Jocko, open invite, buddy. So, <laughs> but uh, so there was there was a couple more certs after uh, uh, after Ranger School. So is that like at what when you're going the the officer route? At what point like is your MOS determined, and how much like does that determine your path then? Uh, in basic training, yeah, still the same. So yeah, no, I knew, I knew in basic training that I was going to be an infantry officer. Um, that was when it was, uh, that's when they tell you, um, what you've been branched. Uh, and I got what I asked for actually my, the whole time I was going into the, um, through the, through the, uh, pipeline, you know, trying to get into officer candidate school and into the army, they they give you a list of 10 and they tell you, you know, okay, rank from one to 10, the branches that you would want to serve in. And my dad had always been like, you want to be a pilot, you know, go be a pilot. It's the best life, you know, cool missions, all this stuff. And, and so I had aviation number one the whole time. Yeah. And then the last day, right before they were submitting my packet, they were like, if you want to make any changes, make some changes. And we had gone to Italy 
and my family's Italian and my cousin had been in the, in the Italian army. And he was like, you don't want to be a pilot. And I'm like, why don't I want to be a pilot? It's a great life, crew rest, you know, like you get to do cool things. You fly these aircraft. And he's like, you're a taxi driver. You want to be a taxi driver? I'm like, I don't know. Let's, if you're a cool taxi driver and like a multi-million dollar taxi, it seems like it could be pretty awesome. Yeah. And he's like, you're always going to be a taxi driver. That's going to be your nickname, taxi driver. And so I'm like, oh, I'm never going to be a taxi driver. And then I was like, oh, wait. And I also wanted to go in the army to go ride horses and and like save the world. I can't do that if I'm a taxi driver. This guy makes a lot of sense. So I changed it from aviation to infantry and got exactly what I asked for. Nice. So then uh, you went, you finished up, you went to, you said 4th Battalion? I went to 4th Infantry Division. 4th Infantry Division. Uh, so I was in 3rd Battalion, 4th Infantry Division. I uh, immediately became a platoon leader day one when my battalion commander uh, fired the guy that I was replacing. So that was awkward. And then um, spent about five months in training and then went to Iraq for a year in charge of uh, 41, 41 guys. Dang. What's the time frame here? Uh, 2005. So right at the the height like, of the, yeah. the Shia Sunni, um, you know, ethnic divide, um, you know, the height of the insurgency, right right around the time of the you know before the right before the the, the surge type you know conversation started happening, and uh, yeah, when we started really ramping things up, yeah. So you, I mean, you boys stepped into a mess. Yeah, yeah, we were we we were in a pretty difficult area too. So yeah, we had. Um, yeah, you know, I was, I was fortunate in, in my platoon to not have anybody killed. Um, we had, uh, we had a number of, of guys, unfortunately, who, who lost their life within our company, uh, within our battalion, um, many more than, than, you know, we like to think about or should have had, you know, always remember, remember their service and their sacrifice and their honor. Um, we had a number of guys in my platoon who were wounded in, in several different, uh, incidents that we had. Um, but yeah, it was a difficult, uh, yeah, it was, it was a long year Yeah, for sure. I've, I've felt like, you know, 20 years at, at war, you know, sitting on the, you know, the news side of things, right. And, you know, watching, depending on what administration was in office, watching the, the ticker for, for lives lost go by, those things disappeared magically, uh, eventually, but, uh, it was so easy to get fixated, uh, on, you know, the deaths when the reality is the only reason the number, you know, the number felt small, really like too high, right? One's too many. That's, you got to toe that line. And it is, but you're like, Oh, we've been over there for however long. And it's, you know, we're in thousands or not, not tens of thousands, but I feel like the number was only so small because of major medical advancements. Like if we had fought these same wars at any other time in, in medical science, you know, it would have been numbers closer to what we'd seen in, in prior conflicts. And so I think it was easy, uh, you know, on the civilian side to lose sight of the cost in, in the injuries and limbs lost. And, you know, and then of course, you know, with PTS, it's, you know, the silent killer, you, you're not even seeing those injuries. And, uh, you know, it's, it was a shame not to, to see more focus on those. And if anything, I mean, you know, maybe I feel like we're, we're somewhat better, more, you know, maybe more awareness about it now like i know out of sandlot like you had earl granville uh you know pass through in front of the mic and er errol's doing 
great work in that area. Mostly just, you know, running mud courses with, uh, with his one leg and, and doing awesome things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With one leg. I mean, that guy's, that guy's absolutely crushing it. Yeah. I mean, look, if you do the, if, if you look at the total, okay. And you know, I can do a little stuff. I mean, you had over 116, thousand Americans killed in World War One. You had over four hundred thousand killed in World War Two, thirty-five, thirty-six over thirty-six thousand in the Korean War. Um Vietnam, you know, fifty-eight thousand, over fifty-eight thousand. And then um between Iraq and Afghanistan's about seven thousand. And so what you see are massive advancements in medical care. Um, and massive advancements in first line of in first line ability to the first hour, yeah. Uh, and that first sixty minutes is what's really truly credited with being able to save as many lives as as we do, um, because we can very quickly evacuate people off the battlefield and get them to a higher level of care, and that's that's in innovations in in technology, transportation, um, the ability to to feel treat you know people i mean i've had uh, i've had guys get get shot um you know there as a special forces detachment commander as an and as an infantry platoon leader who yeah may very well have lost their life if it wasn't for advancements in medical aid and our ability to get them off the battlefield as quickly as we did yeah um and so uh so yeah you you see that um more more veterans have taken their own life than we lost in in Iraq and Afghanistan combined, and that is a uh, that is a that's a horrifying statistic, and and that is the statistic that that we need to stop yeah. and we need to focus on because there's something fundamentally wrong here when we have when when we are in inverted in this manner, um, and it is something that if we're not putting the attention on it, then we're failing. Yeah. Do you feel like it's it, that's it, that's different than prior conflicts, or are we just more aware of it? I think we're more aware of it. Um, I think that I, you know, I think we're I think we're certainly more aware of it. Um, I think that we have um, we have had tremendous amount of. I mean, I mean, look at the Vietnam era. Of uh, of you know mental health disorders and and what veterans went through in in coming home from Vietnam and the um, you know I mean the amount of Vietnam veterans that are still in the VA system yeah this many years after the end of the conflict and um, and by and large that generation was for they they were not only forgotten about but they were not welcomed home yeah. And then this was, you know, and these were, were folks who served their country admirably. Yeah. Uh, and got, and, and and got told they were going to do so. Tremendous amount. Yeah. I mean, and, and came home and came home to booze and couldn't wear their uniform and, you know, were, were hated by the American public for, for what they were asked to go do and voluntarily went and, and did. I mean, certainly, you know, draft was a factor uh then as well but i mean you know they went out and they did their they did their job they did what they were asked to do and you know they were they came home to to people who viscerally hated them yeah um and we didn't have an infrastructure in place in which to support them in which to support them you know their physical ailments their mental ailments 
and many, many of them have have taken their own life or lost their life to battle with to mental mental illness. Um, you know, but I think yeah, I mean, our reporting structure is greater now. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a good exercise to understand. Well, and I I feel like you I mean you'll see it even now. You know, as far removed as we are from from Vietnam, like I my you know my my mom's one of five and. Uh, one of her her brothers, my my uncle Bernard, went and fought in, in Vietnam. But so I was raised by a mom who who taught us, you know, when you when you see somebody with their Vietnam hat on, when you see a vet, to to go up and and particularly that group, not not just thank them for their service, but welcome them home. And there's some of those guys to this day. You shake their hand and look them in the eye and say welcome home, and they'll they'll tear up now because they didn't get welcomed back. You know, and it's like a lot of those guys are still. Still yeah, fighting Mar- that. Mark Otto talked about that. Um, so we did, so I was the treasurer of the United War Veterans Council and um, we did an episode at Sandlot. We did a jumping in, in a short form episode with Mark Otto, who's the executive director of the United War Veterans Council up here in New York. And and he talked about that, about you know going up to veterans and, and their whole mission is to support, you know, they have a number of initiatives outside of the Veterans Day Parade in New York City, but I also have a big mental health and and um and awareness program. And and that's a big thing he talks about is you know going out there and meeting with veterans and just saying those words. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome home. Yeah. And that that is a response that he gets. Yeah. It's uh, so for for your part. Uh, how long's that that first deployment? Uh first deployment was a year, so it was a it was a good it was a good long year out there. Dang. And are you are you single at this time? No, no, I was I was I was married. So we were uh, actually my my wife and I had met in college and uh, were together, you know, primarily, you know, off and on a little bit as everybody is as they go through college, but, uh, you know, primarily on um, all through college and then got married uh, shortly before I went to Iraq. Yeah. Man. And so that, that year, man, that's a learning curve for both sides. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, I've, 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 yeah, I've, for everybody. I yeah. mean, you know, it's, it's harder, harder on, on um, the people at home. Yeah. Uh, you know, any deployment is, uh, yeah, even now, you know, I go away for business and, you know, for record podcasts or work or whatnot. And, you know, it's, it's harder for the people at home because you know what you're doing, you know, and when you, when you deploy and, you know, and I had a a total of, well, you know, five deployments, um, you know, full, full way deployments, um, You, uh, you know, you're there every day. You understand inherently what's going on, what the risks are, what you're doing, what it looks like. Uh, it's the people at home who don't know, um, and, and they can only rely so much on what they see on TV or what they hear from you, which is always, you know, a, a fraction of what's actually going on, uh, whether that's good or bad. But, um, but, you know, I think it's easier to be, I think it's easier to be gone than to be the one who's at home. Yeah. So the five deployments. So you knocked that first one out in uh, oh, you said oh five, right? Yeah, I came back in oh six. Okay, and so uh, where where's the career progressed from there? Because there there's a there's a shift out of regular army coming at some point. Yeah, that's when I my window for special forces had opened up during during that time, and so I applied to go to selection. Uh, was invited to go to selection. Went to selection. 
uh, when I got back, uh, you know, a couple of months after I got back and uh, made it, thankfully, and then was uh, went to the captain's career course, went to the special forces qualification course. Uh, so that process was about another year and a half and then went to back to Colorado to 10th Special Forces Group and uh, was a, a detachment commander in 2nd Battalion, 10th Special Forces Group. That's an awesome thing to be able to say, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's... it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's that's got to be fun. But yeah, that's when the job starts, yeah. though. You know, like I mean, that's and I think you know, that was something that was you realized pretty quickly. And I talk about it now when I talk to people about making athletic teams, talking about professional athletics, college athletics, or even jobs. You know, you get a high profile job. I mean, getting in the door is the first step. Yeah. You know, going to going to school is the first step. You know, making the team is the first step. Your job starts when you show up. When you show up and you walk in the door, and someone's got to look at you and they got to say, "Hey, welcome here," but you don't know. Shit. Yeah. You know now now you got to start figuring it out. Now you got to start earning it. You know, wearing a bunch of badges, you know, on your shoulder, and some you know some tabs on your shoulder, and a bunch of badges on your chest, and you know, great. So is everybody else. You know, and I think that's one of the big things you learn. One of the great things about serving in the military is, you know, what you did yesterday gives you a set of experiences and knowledge and, you know, tests who you are and builds who you are. But it's really about what are you going to do now? What are you going to do today, starting today and tomorrow? And how are you going to build this organization and be a part of this organization, contribute to this organization and make this team better and make yourself better? Because we all have those badges. So you walking in here, you know, yeah, hold your head high, you know, hold your your left shoulder out so everyone can see it. But guess what? You know, there's 11 other guys on this team who have that too. Yeah. And they had it before you. Yeah, I know. It's, it's been crazy. Uh, you know, Tim, Tim Kennedy has been making the rounds, you know, you know, book tour, podcast, whatever. And he's been, I mean, it seems like he's, I haven't, I haven't, the, the book's in the stack and I'm not that far down it yet, but I mean, he's done some long form podcasts and it might as well, I feel like be the audio book, but to hear how raw he got about really that experience about, uh, you know, getting to his detachment, feeling like he's hot stuff, not having his ego in check and that, that learning curve and the lumps he had to take to get to where, you know, he really earned being a teammate earned, you know, his, his beret. And yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a harrowing tale from, uh, from Tim's side. Yeah, we had him on. Um, we had him on at Sandlot. So, one, so one of our short form Sandlot series episodes, um, it, you know, had Tim on, and, and yeah, Tim, Tim's right. I mean, that's the way that you, you have to go into any any place where you go, and it doesn't matter if it's coming out of selection. It doesn't matter if it's going to your your military unit. It's about going into a job. I mean, you go and walk into any organization. You know, if you've been, you know, what they say, if you've been on one. If you've been on one special forces team, you've been on one special forces team. If you worked in one company, you worked in one company. You know, like you don't know how another company works. Yeah. You know, you've got to go there. You've got to figure it out. You have to learn. You have to, you have to identify, you know, what's the, what's the structure? What's the process? How do we, you know, how do we operate in here? How am I going to operate in here? How am I going to be effective? What should I be focused on? Am I focused on too much? I mean, you're not going to be able to go into any organization and look around and say, well, this is the way it's going to be. Yeah. 
And if you are like, nobody, nobody likes that guy. You know, well, you know how we did it where I was. Well, you, I mean, you should probably go back there and do it that way. Then, <laughs> you know, is normally the response. Yeah. yeah I mean, look, I mean, even, even there are very few times, it's not the movies, you know, I mean, life's not the movie. Like, you know, there are very few times in life where you're going to actually be able to do that. I mean, even, even if you work in a private equity firm that does distressed asset acquisition, you know, there's, there's a, still a reason that you bought the distressed asset. There's still a viable product there. There's still, there are still components of the team and the business that you have to drop an operations team in and figure it out. Right. So even in, even in that, which, you know, in the business world would be you know, one of the most, you know, probably one of the, the, the more, um, you know, dynamic opportunities to have to display some level of authoritarian behavior, uh, you're still not going to be able to do it. Yeah. So you've, you've, you've got, uh, you've got your green beret and, uh, four, four deployments ahead of you then. Yeah, I went to, so I, I did as a special forces detachment commander, I did two more deployments to Iraq. Uh, I spent three years on my special forces team. I was on a mountain team. Um, my ice axe is back here that they gave me. You can't see it, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, and they, uh, and so I did three years on that, on that team. And then I was, and then I, I went to the, um, battalion headquarters level and I went to Djibouti with the battalion headquarters. Um, and I served in East Africa running uh, special operations in East Africa. And uh, that was a great opportunity to travel all around East Africa, tremendous amount of autonomy, way more autonomy than I should have had at, at the, the, the rank that I, I operated in, but tremendous amount of trust and respect um, that I had for and that I was given um, by my battalion commander and my, my battalion operations officer who still remain very close to me to this day. And, uh, and they let me go all over East Africa and figure out who in East Africa needed to become special operations. What, what countries had components of the military that needed or could become special operators and what was that going to look like and how many people was it going to, you know, what were those units going to be and how do we train, equip and deploy, you know, U.S. forces there to train them and then help them. Uh, and assist them in combating Al-Shabaab in the, the Somali and East Africa, Horn of Africa region. And that was really, really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, a really, really defining, you know, moment, I think, for me to to be able to go all over East Africa and have that level of autonomy and, you know, really be able to make an impact on the world. Um, and I've seen it, you know, even to this day, uh, every once in a while I'll catch a news story or something that happens in East Africa and be like, Whoa, like I was there when we first started talking about that, yeah. you know, made the first plans for that. Like, oh, that's really cool. Um, so that was a, that was a tremendous opportunity to do that. And then I came back and then I was the assistant operations officer for all of 10 special forces group at the group headquarters. So about 4,000 people across four different continents did that for a year. Um, running the day-to-day -day operations. And then, uh, and then from there I went to Germany and went to Germany and spent a year in Germany. Uh, I spent the first few months, uh, I was the, I was doing the same thing in West Africa as I was had done in East Africa. And then I was in Nigeria 
and uh, opened my mouth a couple too many times in front of the uh, commanding general who was in charge of all special operations in Africa, General Jim Linder, and uh, subsequently was told that I was going to be applying to be his aide. Uh, and I went, <laughs> went the next week and interviewed to be his aide, and shortly thereafter was his aide. And I spent uh, spent about a, about a year with with General Linder, uh, traveling all over Africa, um, living in Stuttgart, Germany, coming back to the states every few weeks. And he was what I call a Southern gentleman from South Carolina, and I was. I was a spoiled kid from Boston with a bad attitude and had a great, uh, had a great lesson that I learned on a daily basis about, you know, how, what actually gets things done in the world. And you can get a lot done with a handshake and a smile and shutting your mouth, uh, than you can by telling everybody the way it has to be. And, and I truly enjoyed my time with him and was very fortunate. And even to this day, we're very close and we talk all the time and you know, I couldn't, couldn't have asked for a, a, a better job. I think it was the best job in the yeah. army. That's awesome, man. I mean, that's a, that's a storied SF career. I feel like right there. Like, I mean, it, it's the, it's the whole gamut. I feel like of the SF mission is what you just described as your career. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I was very fortunate. I, I was really lucky. You know, I had a lot of support from those around me, um, above and below, and uh, and. I mean, I woke up every day with, with a purpose and, you know, with a desire to do the best that I could and achieve as much as I could each day. And, you know, the rest will, will play out. And I think that's something that continues for me today. I don't think that's something that you lose. I think that's something that becomes ingrained in you. If you want to be, if you want to be the best, you gotta, you gotta act like the best. You gotta be the best. You gotta, you gotta work harder. You gotta work smarter. You gotta put more time in. You gotta put the right time in. And you got to do it consistently day in and day out. Yeah. Now I know, uh, you've had, uh, Emily McCarthy on from go Ruck, Uh, and it sounds like you guys have had some, uh, overlapping, uh, areas of operation, but, uh, was it, was it different time frames that you were over there and that she was uh, she over was playing around in, in the Ivory coast? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was down in the Ivory coast. Um, they don't have a terrorism problem, so I never got to go there. Well, maybe one day, a boy. Or at least they didn't. <laughs> at least they they may have it. At least they didn't have a terrorism problem that bubbled up to the level in which uh, special operations took an interest. Yeah. In it. So uh, when when did you separate? I got out in January of 2016. So shortly after I was General Linder's aide, and and then I applied for a lot of jobs, had a lot of interviews, thought I was working at Google twice and Microsoft and all the big names and Deloitte and McKinsey and Bain and all these great companies that everybody wants to go work for. And then uh, I would they'd say, "Tell me a time when you led somebody." <laughs> And we led a team and I'd tell them these, you know, stories about running around Africa and meeting with ambassadors and, you know, host nation generals and crafting policy and, you know, outfitting and you know, arming entire units of, you know, foreign military. And they'd look at me and be like, whoa, do you know what a balance sheet is? And I'd be like, nope, <laughs> no idea. Like, uh, what about the PL you put together? Like, what's PL? Don't know what that is either. Um, and they'd be like, right. 
you're not hired. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to sit there and, and I, I thought about, you know, what, what does the army do every time they put you in a new job and, uh, or they promote you and they send you to school. And I said, the best thing for me right now is probably to go apply to go to school. Um, there's some critical hard skills. You know, I, I figured I was pretty strong in the soft skills. There wasn't, you know, certainly you can always learn more about leadership, you know, and, and some of the soft skill stuff and communication. But I figured, you know, like I've had 13 years of leadership experience and I was a communications major in, in undergrad. I probably know a bit about that at least to get by. Uh, what I don't know is finance, business, business strategy, accounting, um, marketing, uh, all these things that go into running a, and building business. And so I applied to business school. I got into NYU and went there while I worked at Merrill Lynch as a financial advisor. <laughs> that's, uh, that's quite the career shift. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a huge career shift. Um, absolutely huge, uh, going from, you know, running, uh, running all over, you know, all over the world, um, in a G3 with a general, uh, going to a cubicle in rural New Jersey, uh, talking to people about their, their portfolio of, of stocks of which I had no idea what, what I was talking about. <laughs> uh, I was a, it was a huge shift. Um, but I had a guy named Rick Nelson, uh, who had brought me in to be his partner and uh, is, is one of my very dearest friends uh, in the world now and just gave me all the support in the world. Uh, absolutely everything, everything you could ask of, of a, a friend and a coach and a mentor and a boss. And, uh, and for a year and a half, he worked every day tirelessly to make sure that I was having a good time um, <laughs> And I had a little bit of success, and you know, I had a, a lot of uh, a, a lot of non, I, I would say, you know, difficult days, in that I, you know, wasn't really me. Yeah, and it was really hard for me to see myself there for the long term, um, even though I, I appreciated it every single day. Uh, you know, it just came a point where I was, I was doing it more because I didn't want to disappoint Rick than I was doing it for myself. Right. Uh, and for something I wanted to do. And so I had to make the hard decision one day right before graduation that I was going to go in and tell him I was leaving. <laughs> um, and so I had to do that because it was the right thing to do. And, and uh, you know, luckily for me, he's, you know, he's a very caring and compassionate man. And he said, uh, I totally understand. I could see it in your eyes. <laughs> I can't say I'm surprised. Um, but we have to do, you know, and that was really important. He said, we have to do what's best for you. Yeah. And, and whatever you need from me to get there, we're going to do. And, uh, and he continues to do that to this day. And, and so I left and became the global security director at Snapchat. <laughs> how does that come about? And how much security does Snapchat need? Well, they needed a lot. Uh, I tried to give them too much <laughs> <laughs> and made a lot of people mad. Um, I mean, is this from like, a, so, uh, yeah, I, is this like, this is, is this from like a tech, this isn't like a technological, like web security thing. This is like physical, a physical security, physical security, yeah. physical security. Yeah. So, you know, I went to, I went there, I was a former army officer, psychologist who I was running recruiting and HR and I'd met him through a mutual friend and, um, 
yeah, he called me up one day. We had been talking and was like, hey, I want you to come here and be the uh, director of global security. we got to make some monumental shifts. The company's scaling rapidly. We have a, a lot of transition going on. And, you know, can you come and build this department? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And so I went there, um, built a great team, scaled the company uh, across the globe um, very rapidly, implemented a lot of structure, um, implemented a lot of cost savings, implemented a lot of programmatics, uh, and, and really professionalized the entire organization, um, made a lot of friends, made a lot of enemies. Um, my enemies had more power than my friends. Uh, and, and I tried to jam a lot of change down people's throat when they weren't really ready for that change. Um, and then like as snap had done a, a number of times previously, um, several camps emerged in some, you know, political, you know, hierarchical debates and, uh, and, and they, they, rem they were in the business of removing, you know, entire chains of command. And I was part of a, part of a group that was no longer on the positive side of the CEO. Unfortunately had a hard lesson in the way the corporate world works. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, you know, it's funny, you know, a lot of the, the stuff I've done professionally for the past couple of decades has, has been around, youth, you know, teenagers in, into college age. And it's always funny to me hearing them talk about like being excited to move past the, uh, you know, the drama of high school or the drama of college. I'm like, oh, guys, no, no, you're not dealing with high school drama. You're not dealing with college drama. You're dealing with people drama and you're not going to get away from the people. So you, you better figure it out. Well, especially when they have billions of dollars. So... So what's, it, only gets, it only gets more complicated. Oh, for sure. So now uh, my listeners are well aware. I, I I don't do show prep to a fault, but I you know I look at I look at some things, and somewhere in the storyline here, the progression from from Snap to podcasting. Uh, and if I'm jumping too far ahead in the storyline, feel free to fill in any interesting gaps I'm going to miss. But um, were you working for a legal cannabis company? <laughs> A legal cannabis company, <laughs> yes. Uh, so tell us about slinging weed. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah. So after I after I uh, left Snap, I was um, <laughs> I, I was uh, a good good lesson here for for folks. I think you know here is uh, sometimes you really need to think about the second and third order effects <laughs> of decisions that you make. And I um, had been I had two opportunities. Uh, one was to go be the chief security officer at U.S. Foods, which is a uh, a, a twenty four billion dollar company uh, as a Fortune one hundred, I think you know, and uh, they've been around for about one hundred and fifty years, and they're like you know next to Cisco, the largest S S Y Cisco, yeah, um, the largest food distributor in the country, and. Uh, I had that and I had the opportunity to um, stay in LA and that was in Chicago uh, or stay in LA and uh, be the uh, chief security officer for a Russian oligarch uh, and run a cannabis company. Um, and uh, I said, well, let's go run that cannabis company with the Russian oligarch. <laughs> Forget about the $24 billion food distribution company. Um, you know, think about Think about those decisions. Oh my you know, gosh, man! And say, hmm. um, learned a lot. Uh, learned a lot. Spent some time as the um, 
spent some time as the the chief security officer um, was elevated very quickly to the chief operating officer and then eventually uh, due to a variety of reasons of which I cannot uh, talk about they uh, elevated me to the CEO and then when COVID started uh, and kind of kicked off the uh, the investors made the decision to shut the company down and uh, the rest in that story is uh, is a, a history tale. Um, and unfortunately, the company is no longer. And uh, there's a, a lot of folks, a lot of good folks who who lost their jobs. Um, you know, and we had an opportunity to do some great things. And unfortunately, uh, it was no more. It lives that whole that whole business, that whole industry lives in such a crazy space. Just from a from a business standpoint from a political standpoint uh you know dealing with you know the federal legalities the the cash only nature of the business which i think some of that's getting a little bit better um you know these uh it's fun I, my uh my wife's got some family in breckenridge colorado and netflix actually has this great uh documentary miniseries on uh there was a dispensary like on main street in breckenridge which breckenridge is a total tourist ski town uh, i know it well but they uh they were paying a ton to be on main street uh, as a medical dispensary knowing like their their business plan was that it, you know that legalization was coming and so the documentary is about you know the, the battle with the city and with the residents to stay there and not get moved out to where the rest of the dispensaries ended up being outside of town so it's it's an interesting documentary, and my my wife's aunt ended up on it, like as a man on the street interview outside of the post office. But seeing that was the first time my eyes were open to what they had to deal with just to be able to do business from the cash side, like watching them, like have to issue checks, still do payroll, but then they're the bank cashing the checks, and then dealing. I mean, they're sitting on pile this one little dispensary forget the big businesses like what you were involved with they're dealing with piles of cash like scrooge mcduck like they could they could lay down a backstroke through them and so from a security standpoint well, to do that can yeah it was a mess i mean when cannabis first became legalized even medicinally but but then also recreationally in like colorado i lived there and there was you had you had this very nobody knew what to do um, you know, because even today, like credit, major credit card companies, credit card processors, like, you know, they won't take it. You know, so everybody has these different workarounds that they use to be able to take it and then they get shut down and then they have to find new solutions. So, you know, you, you, you're dealing with less cash than you used to. You're still dealing with a tremendous amount of cash, but you know, in there, in the early days in like in Colorado, what you had, and this was happening in Colorado Springs is you had these dispensaries with a tremendous amount of cash in the vault. And, um, and they were getting robbed, uh, and for the cash and, and then you had the police who were like, you know, we don't know what to do. Like, but so these, these cops were coming into these store, uh, these dispensaries and they're like, you know, look, you got robbed, but like, what do we do? Do we prosecute this? I mean, technically like this is an illegal activity, but then you have all this cash and like, you know, is these guys are robbing you, which is technically an, an illegal act, but they're, you know, how do we prosecute this? And then you end up in this like crazy world where nobody knew what to do or yeah. how to handle these situations. You know, to an extent, 
that exists still, um, you know, it's calmed down. Uh, there's still this perception, you know, that people have where they can, where they think they're going to make a, a billion dollars, you know, if they open a dispensary. And, you know, the reality is that's not the case. I yeah. mean, the reality is, is things, things advanced in the industry much, much faster than I think everybody believed or thought that it would. And it, the market consolidated. This is what you saw, what, 2019 into 20, um, in LA, in California is what you saw was the bottom fallout of the cannabis market. And you saw the bottom fallout of like with regard to flower prices, with regard to hemp prices, because there was such market saturation from everybody coming in that the yeah. prices just, I mean, um, just supply outweighed demand uh, in a significant margin. And so you saw just massive consolidation in the industry. And the big players and the ones who could control the entire supply chain, the entire vertical from seed to sale are the ones who can control economies of scale and can control uh, all the efficiencies between the systems. And as long as you can do that, then you can last in cannabis and be very, very successful, yeah. but it takes a tremendous amount of capital. Well, and, and part of the issues that I that I saw around it, you know, obviously you were more directly involved in the business, but just uh, you know, a curiosity from the outside. Um, one, the second I heard the stat that Colorado had collected more tax money from cannabis than alcohol, that's when I knew that the the timer was started and it's going to be legal legal nationwide. No, no politician, right, left, or otherwise, anywhere in the country can can turn down that money. So. Where if it's not legal in your state yet, it's it's common. But the flip side of that coin is like if you know when we would go and visit in Colorado, what we're seeing and hearing there locally is like, well, yeah, it's it's legal, but it's taxed at such a high rate. The dispensaries are so expensive that it's kept the black market for it alive. Like it's still cheaper for me to go buy from the guy down the street than to and then hey, prove what I have on me isn't isn't legal or the personal grow plants versus going down to the dis, the dispensary and paying all the taxes. Well, that's the argument. I mean, that's the argument from everybody back to this the the governments is that you guys are taxing this at, you know, 35 to 50% and you're actually by doing that you're fueling the black market. And so so why would somebody and if I'm the consumer you know, I care, certainly I care about quality and you have a lot of, you know, what, what you've seen in the evolution is you have a lot of um, producers, uh, you know, actual like manufacturers who, who, and brands who won't sell into the, the black market shops. They'll only sell to legitimate shops, yeah. but you have a lot who sell perfectly good quality stuff into the black market shop. Um, you know, certainly there's a lot of trash out there and that's when people get sick and, you know, it's hard to, you know, you really do want to understand what you're buying and where it's coming from. Uh, but, um, yeah, that's, what's feeling. That's, that's a major contributor to fueling the black market. Yeah. It, it's still, it's, it's so crazy watching it play out to me though. Cause it's, you know, like I'm, I'm in the Southeast, I'm in Florida, you know, our, our big, uh, our big grocery train down here is, is Publix. Publix is, as milk toast as an organization comes like it's as conservative down the line, big business as, as someplace could be. I mean, Publix for a grocery store, it's pretty wholesome. You'd say. Mm -hmm. And when I can walk in there and buy Charlotte's web, which is federally yeah. an illegal product, I'm like, it's in Publix. You're not, you're not putting this genie back in the bottle. It's, it's done. 
And it's, you know, we're still, Florida still isn't a, a fully legalized state. Yeah, but that, I mean, when it, that's when it's going to be really hard for the little, the little people to compete. I mean, once you, I mean, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, certainly haven't been intricately involved in the market now in a couple of years, but, you know, you will see kind of what happens um, and how the big players, you know, and I'm talking about big retailers, you know, if they get involved, what it looks like. Because, yeah, if you can go into a CVS and, uh, you know, you can buy it like you buy a pack of cigarettes, you know, it's going to be really hard to compete. Well, I mean, you can't tell me Bill Gates is buying up all that farmland just to make more uh, Beyond Meat and Impossible burgers. So <laughs> maybe he's looking to get in the game eventually. But uh, so, hey, I mean, sometimes you got to thank God for unanswered prayers. And so, uh, you know, that that dries up there at the beginning of COVID. But, hey, looking back, probably great not to be in any way affiliated with a Russian oligarch these days. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's definitely a thought that has crossed my mind um, since the invasion of uh, of Ukraine by Russia. Yeah, I think we would have been in a difficult spot um, to have that affiliation. So that's uh, that was early 2020. That was start of uh, of COVID, and then uh, we kicked our pot. We, we've taken wildly different paths, but we actually started our podcasts around the same time. We're, we're almost on, not counting your, your, uh, uh, your short form. We're at almost the same podcast count. Um, yeah, we've released, uh, 70, 70 long forms and, uh, I don't know, what do we, what I record today? 16, uh, I think today was my 16th, um, short form. Um, we're a couple, we got a couple in editing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we've only, we've missed about four weeks yeah. in, um, two years, but we've kind of added some of our short forms in actually, we're we just made the decision today to do that this week. Um, you know, cause, uh, I try to put, you know, we, we normally 99% of the time yeah. push a long form out every Thursday. Um, but every once in a while I want a little bit more time. Um, to get it uh, where exactly where I want it, and so that's a situation that we have this week, where we had a great event. I was talking about sale ahead earlier, and we have a, a tremendous amount of B roll and videos from two days of sailing and and everything. And I want to capture all that, and I want to capture those stories. I want to talk about veteran suicide, um, and I want to talk about putting an end to this in a in a really really important way. Uh, and so I need another another week, but uh, but we're going to release an episode this week on on Ukraine. So so we'll have something to talk about. I mean, did you ever think we'd still be at freaking end of summer and Ukraine still still a thing still going on? Yeah, I mean that's a this is a war of attrition. Um, I mean this is this is Russia's game. I mean this is how you do it if you don't have. If you cannot um, achieve um, your your end state with speed and violence of action uh, at the initial outset, you know, initially, you know, if you remember back in uh, when we entered Iraq, we called it shock and awe. Yeah. You know, I mean, look how quickly we took Iraq. I mean, you know, at least you know had a foothold in the certain yeah. metropolitan areas. You know, we can we can argue all day long about what happened after that, but. Um, but I mean, you know, as far as like, you know, an executed military operation and an invasion of a sovereign nation, I mean, you know, we executed it pretty well. Uh, you know, Russia, I'd argue, not so much. And um, so what So what happens, you know, now when you 
your initial goal and your initial focus was to, you know, get in very quickly, attempt to achieve supremacy, uh, and force force the occupied nation uh, into some sort of withdrawal or appeasement. Um, what you saw was the was many many years of international and U.S. effort uh, to bolster the Ukrainians' um, work. And, and that was what happened. And they successfully repelled uh, that attack. There was a, you know, if, if the Russians did anything, it, they unified NATO, um, which is something we haven't seen in a very long time. I mean, you know, 9-11 was the, was the only time, uh, first and only time where you saw uh, a unification of, and, you know, and, um, an invocation of the, the articles, um, you know, an attack on one is an attack on all. Uh, and I think, you know, I don't think we were there. Certainly we weren't there with the invasion into Ukraine, but it, you know, it forced the conversation and it forced countries to take action. Uh, a very messy situation, difficult situation, you know, where you have the a tremendous amount of world commodities and oil prices affected by, Russia and their ability to export, um, and a tremendous amount of time still going on right now. You know where uh, where nations are are buying Russian oil and you know buying Russian coal, and you know that money is it funding the war effort? You know, I mean, probably, but uh, the, the, but Ukraine is a, is a very um, difficult situation. Uh, I think that when they very quickly identified that it was going to be difficult to take the country in the way that they did. They consolidated back to some of the uh, the eastern areas that they had more of a, a friendly population to their cause and, and weren't quite so hostile to Russian forces. And I think that they they annexed those, you know, as quickly as they could. And now it's a, now it's a war of attrition. Uh, and now it's very much, you know, can we outlast... Uh, the Ukrainians and the world's uh, can it, it's, it's even less about the Ukrainians. It's more about can we outlast the eyes of the world being on this problem? Uh, because eventually, the rest of the world, you know, is going to go back to their life, and they're going to go back to their normal day and their internal problems. I mean, when was the last time you turned on the news and you saw something on Ukraine? Well, I mean, we've got a nice shiny new object over off the coast of China now, so. Yeah, I mean, there's and there's other stuff going on. And we're back talking about, you know, uh, Trump and, um, you know, the FBI going into, you know, Mar-a-Lago. And we've got, uh, you know, a lot of other things, you know, that, that have now you know, permeated and taken the top of the full news headlines. And we are not, um, so how quickly will support to this effort dry up from the international community because they get preoccupied with their other problems. And then, you know, Russia's playing a, a, a long game on this thing. And can we hang out and survive long enough and systematically eradicate uh, as many of the, the Ukrainians without, you know, while the world runs different news articles as we can? Uh, you saw some pretty horrifying stuff last week about, you know, mutilization, um, mutilizations and, uh, and, and different, um, uh, you know, d different, uh, execution style killings of Ukrainian soldiers. And, um, what we have to hope is that, 
you know, we are not going to do what we have done in other conflicts, which is uh, create a um, environment in which we pump a ton of money, which, you know, inevitably will get, uh, you know, we'll have all sorts of investigations in three years time about fraud, waste and abuse and the number of contractors and people who made, you know, billions and billions of dollars um, and, you know, seemingly no service or goods were provided because what we tend to do in these situations is open the floodgates and push money to everybody. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't deliver and, and make a ton of money off of this thing. And then, uh, and so we'll have all those investigations here in a couple of years as to where that money actually went and what it was appropriated to and the effect of it. Um, but throwing money at the issue doesn't solve anything. Um, buying equipment and dropping it there doesn't solve anything. You know, you need sustainment, you need training, you need to put people in positions to, you know, develop a pipeline to, uh, to replenish the amount of soldiers that are being killed by the Russians. Um, and you have to do that over the long term and the long, the long game and putting, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's is what we saw in Afghanistan. Um, and what we saw in Afghanistan was, you know, great. You got, uh, you know, hundreds of Black Hawk helicopters and you got no maintenance package. Oh, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. You know, they, they don't have money to fuel the helicopters. They don't have money to repair the helicopters. They don't have parts and they pulled all the personnel, cut all the contracts. What do you think was going to happen? Of course, they're useless. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so we can, we can buy all the stuff in the world and you can drop it in Kiev. But if you don't have people and you don't have maintenance and you don't have an ability to service it and you don't provide those things, then all we did is waste more taxpayer dollars. And it's all on our credit card. We don't have the money. No. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, just, and that's uh, everything, but we, I mean, <laughs> you just, it's just, uh, this where, I mean, we're at the point where we're just adding zeros to bank accounts. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's where the conflict, like we didn't, we didn't pick the theater. It's where the conflict is, but uh, man, Ukraine, not great bedfellows. Just, just, you know, I mean, we were, we were running, we were running start stories and articles and, and reports about corruption in Ukraine, you know, weeks, months before this. And then it's, it's the cause du jour and it's, but you know, on the, you know, I, I feel like we, uh, we kind of, we, we went too far with this, you know, with like our, uh, you know, uh, our, our human intelligent net networks and stuff like that. Like sometimes you got to work with some unsavory people. So it's like finding that balance. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, that's, I mean, that's the world, Yeah, you know, the, the world requires that. And we're, you know, that's what we've been doing that for generations. History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. True. Yeah. So 2020, 2021, there's a little, little gap there. What, what lands you at starting a podcast? What's the catalyst between this? those things there. Um, yeah. So I want to write a book, uh, based on some of my recent experiences. And I was like, but I don't know what I would write about. And well, and, and you're, I was like, I mean, no one, will, no one will read it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're not a seal. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'm not a seal. So like, you know, who cares? Um, 
And so I, I was talking to a friend of mine from high school um, and they said, you know, like you should start a podcast. And, uh, and I was like, huh, well, I like to talk and, uh, and I do have this degree in journalism that I'm still paying for 20 years later. So that'd be cool if I somehow tried to capture some ROI on that thing. Um, and then I thought about, you know, well, if I were to have a podcast, who would I talk to and what, what would what would that look like? And, you know, what would I, what kind of stories would I tell and, and how would I approach it? And so it actually happened pretty quickly. So over the course of a couple of days, I kind of sat there and stared out the window and was like, well, if I do this, I'm going to talk to um, famous people who are truly impactful. Um, it's not, you know, we'll probably do some conversations where... <coughs> Sorry, some conversations where, you know, I talk to my my friends and you know tell some stories about some cool things that we did, and but the majority of this is going to be me uh, interviewing some very influential and impactful people in a variety of different industries. And I said I didn't want to focus on one different industry. I wanted to talk to as many people as I could in in, in a variety of different backgrounds. Uh, and then I made a list, and I said, "This is who who are the people who could be defined as impactful." And I made a list and uh, it had about, I don't know, 20 or 30 names on it. And I said, well, this is a pretty cool list. I'm pretty fortunate to know these people and I could pick up the phone, any one of these people, and I could ask them if they would come on my podcast and they'd you know, probably generally say yes. And, and then I thought about all the people they knew and I said, well, if I do a good job with them and maybe they would introduce me to somebody else and you know, let's see what happens. And so, and so I created about a, the first like 20 um, I scheduled and uh, called all these people up and they all said yes. And I was like, well, time to start recording. So we started recording and uh, I was like, this thing is actually working. Um, you know, it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, people seem to enjoy talking to me <laughs> and we're having a, we're having some pretty good some pretty good success and people are actually listening and engaging. And, um, and then people said, you should talk to this person and this person and this person. And, and I said, well, that's cool. And I also want to talk to these people. How do we get them? And, oh, I know this person who knows that person. And that's what we've done for a year and a half yeah. now. And, uh, it's been pretty, it's been pretty cool. It's, uh, I mean, we're, you know, you're, you're, we're playing on, on different scales, which is, which is cool. It's fun. It's why, you know, I kind of like, uh, you know, exposing my listeners to your podcast and what you're doing. Cause I love the concept. Uh, you know, the, the guests you're getting are just killer. Um, but the, the process is very similar, right? Like I, I feel like you have a much more intentional, uh, you know, attack on things maybe than I do, but like that process, that, that, that connection and that network that starts, it really is kind of addictive. Like it really is fun. I, to start to do that. I enjoy that part of it. Well, you want to, I mean, you want to, you want to tell stories that you care about um, and that are impactful to you. You know, I think that's where it starts. You know, people say, well, where do you come up with these stories? And it's like, well, you know, I talk about a lot of the things that I care about. Uh, and then it's a matter of, you know, I'm just very fortunate from a lot of the things that I've been able to do and, and have been involved in in my life to be able to have met some really cool people um, and, and, 
you know, and so we've we've been able to to talk about some very very um, very very you know big impactful national level uh, political uh, you know and international relations topics. We've been able to talk business. Uh, and founding companies and, you know, and some of the biggest companies, you know, that are out there and some of the most impactful companies that are out there. We've talked to some of the, the most tr the tr you know, high level athletes and Olympians and, you know, people competing on the world stage and, you know, talk about fear and overcoming, you know, their, the ability to get out and perform, you know, what I call no matter the challenge. And, um, and we've done that pretty consistently. Um, you know, I think that, it's the first, we had a guy, uh, his name is, um, Harris Glazer. Uh, I think it was episode, uh, 38 or 39, uh, I think of 38. And he was, uh, he started a company. Oh, he didn't start it. He bought a company called Midnight Express and Midnight Express builds these power boats in Miami. And they're like, my dream is to have a Midnight Express with the Jedberg logo on the side. That would be fantastic. Um, yeah. And, uh, and these things, I mean, they're phenomenal, <laughs> but, uh, but he said, as an entrepreneur, this is, this is the first thing you think about. And it's the first thing you think about when you wake up and it's the last thing you think about before you go to bed. And, um, and it truly is uh, for me. And, uh, I absolutely love every minute of it. Uh, there's a lot of challenge. Um, you go through this, this, um, the highest highs and the lowest lows, and sometimes that happens two or three times throughout the course of the day. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, you wake up and be like, we have no downloads. Our social media sucks. And, you know, by, by noon, you're like, oh my God, we have thousands of downloads and, you know, tens of thousands of views on social media. And this person wants to be a guest. And then, you know, by the afternoon, you know, you're like, oh, everybody hates me. Nobody wants to listen to me. <laughs> I can't get any of these guests. Uh, and so you're constantly in this, you know, this ebb and flow. And, um, you know, for me, it, you know, podcasting is, is very competitive. There's a lot of people out there. There's a lot of content out there. I think consistency is key. I think that defining your audience is key. I don't think, and I've never approached this as what do we look like at 10 episodes or 50 episodes or a hundred episodes I'm very, very focused on where are we at 500 episodes, a thousand episodes. If you look at the most successful people who've been in this game, sure, there are some people who are like, oh, I just started this podcast and started talking about this and I have, you know, a hundred thousand views. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, you know, that's probably a relevant topic. Maybe you're famous, maybe you're not, you know, is that sustainable over the long term? I don't know. We'll see. Um, I think there's a lot of ways that you can go about talking, uh, finding you know who you resonate with and what you what you talk about. Uh, I think it would have been very simple for me to pick one topic uh, and talk about that. I think you run out of content. Yeah. Uh, I think you run out of guests. You run out of content. Um, I think when you take a long-term approach and you say, you know, who are the, who are the players, you know, who, who do I truly, when I wake up in the morning and, you know, and certainly I compare myself to everybody, but you know, who, who, who's out there that I say, like, I, I'm coming for you. Um, you know, I, I mean, 
Rogan comes to my mind, you know, um, and, uh, and, and Shane Walsh comes to my mind and, you know, Tim Ferriss and, you know, and you mentioned Jocko, um, you know, but I mean, like Jocko's got like 300 plus episodes and, you know, Rogan has like eight or 900 episodes and Ferriss has 800 plus episodes and so does Walsh. And, you know, it's like, okay, you know, these guys are seven years, eight years into this game and, you know, what are we? We're 18 months yeah. and we've produced 80 something episodes in 18 months. Um, Jersey Mike's is our title sponsor. Uh, you know, Analytics Solutions is a sponsor. 18 Alpha Fitness is a sponsor. Um, we're lining up a couple of more sponsors by the end of this this quarter, you know, that we're, yeah. we're most likely going to launch with. Uh it's working. Yeah. We have a great fan base. We, you know, we were, we started at zero. We started at zero. Right. And I'm not famous, you know, like my Instagram had 200 followers <laughs> when I started this podcast. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, uh, and, and, and everybody's real. Um, we don't pay for likes. We don't pay for views. We don't pay for downloads. You know, everybody is real. Yeah. Uh, I would rather have, less and have them engaged and take much longer to grow because they will grow with us and they will be with us forever than, than have fakes. Um, and, but everything was zero, uh, and every person and every one who's listened to us and every person who follows us, you know, is a, is, you know, by and large, at least, you know, from what we can tell a a real person, I'm yeah, there's sure there's bots out there, but you know, but, but we haven't sought those bots. Um, they found us, Yes. uh, but you know, I I mean, the, the goal is, you know, continue organic growth, um, continue to get the best guests out there, uh, continue to differentiate ourselves, by high level content um, and be consistent. Don't change our standard. Um, Continue to tell people's stories with, you know, objectivity, uh, I think is a big, a big part of it. You know, people have told me, you know, well, you can, you know, go out there and tell them what you think. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'll give a little bit of that, but that's why I go on other people's shows. Um, you know, and I, I mean, I, what I care about is, is I want to tell the story of my guests and I want to tell yeah. through the lens of special operations. And I want to talk about the components of a performance mindset. And I want people to be able to listen and take something away, not from every episode, because no one is, we now, okay, I'm going to say this, but uh, I will first say thank you to all of our listeners who do listen to every episode because we actually have a very good amount of listeners who listen to every single episode and um how they still listen to my voice uh, I, I don't know but i really appreciate <laughs> that uh and it's, it shows me that we're doing something right yeah. for a lot of people um and i've had people contact me and tell me that they got jobs because of stuff that they took from our podcast. That's awesome. People tell me that they've, you know, that, that they've, it's changed their life. They've saved their life. They've saved other people's life because uh, of our mental health episodes. And, you know, look, that's why we do it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and if we change one person's life, um, okay. Yeah. Let's do it for another year. Yeah, no, you that's know, awesome. Let's get change one more person's life. And I, you know, what I love about your format, like what you've, what you've managed to do is, is create a format where you're, you're not stuck in one topic. 
but you you're pulling similar information out of each topic, right? Like that focus on excellent, that's that focus on leadership, but looking for those principles a- across genres, across specialties, across applications, rather it's sports, rather it's business, rather uh, it's military service. So it's kind of got that niche vibe to it, but the topic's always different. The source is, is always different. Well, it gives it, I mean, everybody's going to have a different perspective and, you know, what do they say? You got to hear something three times, you get a brand. I think, you know, uh, my wife tells me all the time, you got to put a brand in front of someone like five to seven, nine times or something before, you know, they actually are like have an affinity to that brand. I mean, sure. We, we can, we could talk about, uh, entrepreneurism, you know, all, all day, all day long. We can, you know, we got 70, you know, 80, 80 episodes, you know, over 80 episodes. I, I'd say we 25%, maybe 30% is on entrepreneurism of some sort and building businesses. I will tell you that I recorded an episode last Friday with Liza Huber. Liza Huber was, um, an actress on NBC's daytime television show, Passions. She now started a company called Sage Spoonfuls, where it's a where she has all the components in the cookbook to make your own baby food, you know, and 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 she's in Bye Bye Baby, Target, Walmart, on Amazon, all the big box retailers. Right. She's going into supermarkets now. No experience building a manufacturing business. She was an actress. She studied communications, has built this tremendous company all herself. Zero investors. 100% owner and her take and her creative ability to find and source funding, legitimate funding. Like, you know, when we're talking about like cash on receivables, you know, for payment of, uh, of invoicing, I mean, and scale her business into the major retailers in the world. I never heard anything like it. Yeah. Never heard anything like it. And I have an MBA from NYU. <laughs> well, and that's what, you know. And and I was like, you just blew, like, like you, I, you could have saved me $200,000. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I if it. I, if I had listened to this, to, to, to this, uh, to you know, four, 45 years ago. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, I experienced that on a, on a, on a, from a different tack and a different scale over, over here. But what I like hearing from listeners, because, because we're, it's such a conversational podcast and it's it centered, you know, it's, it's my interest, you know, I've always called my format, you know, the friends at lunch or, or friends around a campfire, depending on, you know, whatever, whatever turns you on. If you'd rather be around a campfire than over a plate of brisket, then, then that's fine. But where you know I, you just let the conversation lead. I lo- I love that, and I'll I've got friends that are you know guests that are subject matter er- areas, and and one thing that I'm interested in. Some things are just all over the place, but what I love hearing from listeners is, I I was listening because I'm into this thing that you were talking about, and you pivoted, you rabbit trailed on this thing that had absolutely nothing to do with it. And I learned about it or I got into it or I looked into that thing and I had no, you know, had no idea about it. So whether it piques an interest or teach something, teach us something new, those are some of my favorite things to, to hear from listeners. And that's, uh, that's part of what I think is so cool about the format. Yeah. I mean, you could talk about anything and I think you know, for, for me, what do I want? You know, where do I want to be in th- two, three years? I mean, I want the, I want the Jedberg podcast to be more than a podcast. I want it to be a media outlet, you know, and we're doing live events. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the first step. You know, we're taking, we're, we're covering live events. 
you know, we're going to, we're going to shows. We're, we're starting, we're circling back on old guests. I interviewed today, you know, we'll go out next week. Uh, we brought back Seth Goldman, um, chairman of the board at Beyond Meat, founder of Honest Tea, uh, co- you know, co-founder at Eat the Change and Plant, um, Plant Burger. And, uh, you know, we had, we had him on a year ago and we talked about Honest Tea. I read Message in a Bottle, his book about Honest Tea. Well, Coca-Cola sh- shut Honest Tea down now. And, you know, and he started Just Ice Tea, new company, right? I mean, and this guy's a serial entrepreneur, uh, you know, and and we brought him back and we talked all about it today. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and it's not an hour and a half, it's 20 minutes. Yeah. That's tough. Can we start to have these, you know, and and can we, I mean, I'm just, you know, got up here on on my screen, you know, what do we have coming up? You know, we've got, we just did, last week we did an episode on crisis leadership. Um, we're going to talk about Ukraine. We got, you know, like I said, Seth Goldman, we're going to talk about veteran suicide and sale head. We're going to talk with Liza about entrepreneurism. We've got, uh, we got uh, men's fashion and, and Roan, um, and, you know, and their founder and CEO, or, you know, we're trying to get an episode on the special Olympics. We got Boston fire, uh, Boston fire department and nine 11 episode. We've got Scott Dickers coming up, uh, you know, the, the founder of the onion. Um, and comedian, we're going to do a, another one on, on drug and substance abuse with my best friend from high school, um, nice. you know, who, who's now a leading drug and, and alcohol abuse counselor because of his, uh, because of s- stuff him and I did as kids <laughs> that put him on, on a, a road to substance abuse yeah. where his family had to come get him. Um, you know, we're going to do an episode on NASCAR. We're going to do an episode on, uh, we're going to circle back on Afghanistan. Uh, we're going to talk, we're going to, I'm going to, um, we're going to do an episode on veterans mental health and, and making music off of it. We're going to do an episode on climate change, the Olympics. We're going to do, um, veterans day parade. We got a lot of things coming up. The the point here being to to my <laughs> listeners is that if you're not already following and subscribed to the Jedberg podcast, you need to just pause right now. Come <laughs> back to this, but pause right now and and pull it up and follow. Well, let's. We've talked about some of your guests now. Your your list of guests is so eclectic that I think anybody who's looking at it would probably come up with a a different like top five or big names. Um, yeah, people ask me all the time, "What's your best episode?" I'm like, "What do you care about?" <laughs> so here's I, I here's here's mine that I that I pulled that that stood out. Oh boy, uh, this one's uh, pretty. Pr- I, I, well, not niche. Like he's big, but I think a lot of people would know who he was. But I've been a big fan for a long time. Kelly Starrett to me is a huge. I knew I knew get, you were gonna say, dude. Him. Kelly is freaking literally new. Like it. I I was in awe of the dude. Anyways, listeners, if you're not familiar with Kelly Starrett, look him up right now. Look up Supple Leopard. Look up Born to Run. <laughs> like he's the the leading mind on movement and biomechanics, uh, probably in the world. I mean, if somebody knows more and is and is doing more with application, I don't. I've never heard of them. Um, yeah. So Kelly's a big one. Tim, we talked about. Tim Kennedy is. Yeah. I mean, Tim, he's just like I don't even. I don't even know how you describe you like the serial entrepreneur. Is <laughs> I don't even know how many businesses Tim's running at this point. Uh, five or six. He's got a number and, of them. So and I mean a, a media personality in his own right, legitimate media personality these days. MMA fighter. Uh, Jack Devine. No, I don't think, unless my wow, listeners have Jack already Devine. found your podcast, they likely don't know yeah. about Jack and they should. You've had Jack on a couple of times Jack now. Devine. He's, yeah. um, if there's a real Jason Bourne, 
it might yeah. be Jack. <laughs> that's how I opened that one. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably why it's in my brain. Yeah. I'm not that clever yeah. on my I, own. I think I, I think the open, it's been a while now. It's been over a year, but now uh, I think that open is something like, uh, you know, there's Jack, there's, uh, there's Jack Ryan, there's Jack Bauer, uh, you know, and the real world has Jack to That's perfect. Uh, I always, in my head, I've always liked to believe on your behalf that it was like a, a subtle uh, dig or a wink, a nod at Tim Ferriss because he's got that, uh, that clip in the beginning of his intro that's from uh, Jason, the Jason Bourne movie. So I'm like, oh, does uh, he? Yeah, does yeah. He re- I didn't know that. It's, he's got the clip in his intro and it's Jason Bourne talking about like, I can run flat out for X distance <laughs> at this altitude. Um, I've always loved his intro. I've, I've been, a, Tim's really what sucked me into podcasting. Um, and that's how I yeah. found, uh, Jocko. I mean, all, a lot of the stuff I listen to, but, um, and then now these names, people will absolutely know Stanley McChrystal, like holy <laughs> freaking crap, Stanley McChrystal. That's massive. And then this is the one that just boggles my mind. I actually messaged you jokingly about this one because, I, you know, I was uh, seeing it. I had somebody on. It was Brian from uh, from uh, Origin. I'm like, man, I think Brian would be be good for you guys. If you're interested, let me know. And, uh, you know, you're like, yeah, send the info. And I'm like, okay, I'll just I'll trade you for Newt Gingrich's contact info. Yeah. That's the trade <laughs> I was looking to make. Newt Gingrich, who reformed welfare, um, was he still speaker when they impeached Clinton? Like, like Newt's, Newt's a big deal. <laughs> been, been everywhere. Um, yeah, we had a great, I mean, so Newt, you know, each one of these into me, I, I mean, I put a, a lot of time into these, into the prep of these conversations. Um, I don't go into anything without a, you know, pretty good idea where I want to go. And honestly, you mentioned Tim Ferriss and, you know, credit where credit's due. You know, for me, that's a big thing I take away from Tim Ferriss um, is the amount of research uh, and the amount of preparation that he does. Yeah. Uh, I think that it is, you know, I think everyone has their style. Yeah. Um, and I think I've, I've also so, you know, gone the other way and, and been like, this is sounds overproduced. It sounds forced, you know, and so you got to find your niche. I mean, yeah. again, you know, the guy's got 700 episodes, so he's got you know, quite a lot of highs and lows, certainly through yeah. his, you know, his tenure and doing this too. But like, you know, I, I think, um, you know, Newt Gingrich was one where I looked at and, uh, and actually called, uh, General Linder, uh, you know, who I mentioned before. And I said, Hey, sir, like I'm interviewing Newt Gingrich. Like, yeah. uh, you know, what do, what do you think? And like, here's what I think. And him and I actually, you know, I, again, you know, you got to give him credit, you know, the mentor that he's always been to me. We came up with a pretty good <laughs> uh, conversation for that one about, about dime and, uh, you know, the, the elements of national power and how do we, how do we as a nation, um, today execute the elements of national power in terms of diplomatic informational military and economic power and that's what defines a nation yeah and that's what defines their status as a superpower and that's how we frame that conversation with Newt Gingrich it's uh he's such a, a throwback to an era where not I mean you know not that the the 90s weren't without their their partisan politics and their flame throwing but there was just a different level, it feels like, of statesmanship, gravitas, just he, he felt like somebody worthy of the role, which it's tougher to come by these days. 
Well, Patrick Murphy said, so Patrick Murphy was on earlier this year, 40, I got it here, um, 44. So Patrick Murphy was a, a congressman from Pennsylvania. He was the undersecretary of the army. Um, and Patrick Murphy says, you can disagree, but you cannot be disagreeable. And that to me is one of one of the things and you know things stand out for me for every I, mean, I can I can recap every single episode I've ever done and tell you exactly what like the, what I take away and, and I think everybody takes away something yeah. different but I can tell you what I take away you know Patrick Murphy said that to me when I asked him about how do you bridge the divide in politics and where are we today and I think that that is something that Newt Gingrich exemplifies um, and I think that that's, you know, it's, it's, it's that it's, it's the past era. Yeah. You know, it's today we have become so divisive that, you know, we, you know, we spent a lot of time, uh, decades and decades as a nation saying like, well, we're not going to communicate with Iran, you know, and like, you know, certainly and we, had, and the Russians and, you know, we had all these back channel communications and we still do now. And, you know, and then we go into Congress and we're like, I'm not talking to them. Yeah. And it's like, what, what do you mean you're not talking to them? Like, it's, we should disagree. Yeah. We have to disagree. That's what gets us to the right solutions. Yeah. You know, we, great organizations build cultures on disagreement and their ability to have discourse in a constructive way. But you have, to, you cannot be disagreeable. You still have to come to the table. And we've gotten to the point where, you know, it's just slander. Yeah. Um, and it's just everybody has something to say about someone else. And we did an episode just a couple weeks ago, um, 69, on information warfare and what uh, Mario Valescu calls the, uh, uh, Vasilescu, uh, sorry, um, calls the, uh, information epidemic and the fact that now you can just push anything and we used to have this this what we called the information commons and the information commons was you know, scholars encyclopedias right. you know published works um and the internet is now the information commons but the difference between now and 20 30 40 years ago was that in order to be published before you had to go through a publisher, you had yeah. to go through an editor, you had to be reviewed, it had to be verified for accuracy. Uh, now I can pick up my phone and I can say whatever I want. Yeah. On a multitude of different platforms. And someone's gonna listen. Someone's gonna say something. Someone's gonna believe it. Yeah. And the way that the and the way that the algorithm works, okay, is that the more people that engage with it, like it, view it, share it, regardless of how crazy what I said is, the more views it's going to get yep. and the higher it's going to go on people's feeds. And so when is the point in which we start really thinking about the content that we consume and where does it come from and what does it look like and how does it affect us? Because this is what's dangerous. You know, I mean, we're, we're default position as humans is to believe what people tell us. And so now what the we're entering a world where we have to consistently remind ourselves, well, could this be fake? Yeah. Is that a place we want to live in? 
I'm sure this would be an edit on the Jedberg podcast, but here on the Solid 7 podcast, I don't mind telling everybody, freaking my MacBook just just died, just decided to restart itself. <laughs> and uh, at this point, I'm just hoping you remember what we left off on, because I, I, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> you, were t- you were talking about uh, Tim Ferriss and... Uh, and- some of the uh, some of the things that have you know, separated him um, from others, and, and I was saying that he, uh, yeah, that that this from a you know from a preparation standpoint, you know, it's something that I've learned a lot, yeah. a lot from. So, uh, like, I've always been impressed, uh, you know, since I came across you, of um, you know the volume of your content because there's so much beyond the, the the podcast content that you're putting out. Like your social media promotion is excellent. But I mean, you do a great job of, of pulling out and highlighting clips and you're doing that with audio and video. You've got the YouTube aspect going on now. So and this is inside podcast baseball, but like, what's, what's your average, like how far out on average are you doing an episode before it's, it's dropping? Not far enough. <laughs> um, I, I, my team will uh, consistently joke or make fun of me because every week I yell at them. I don't yell. I tell them that we have to get ahead. We have to get ahead. You know, we got to be two weeks ahead. Uh, and every week, the uh, the day before the episode drops, we're like uh, still finishing <laughs> stuff up. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not as far as I want to be. But you know, sometimes it's. Sometimes it's the timeliness of the recording, yeah, um, as well, and so we're you know we're up against a crunch if we're recording something and trying to turn it pretty quick, um, or if we are, uh, or or if um, if we're just backed up because we're we're just have a lot because I mean, we're we're pushing we're pushing a lot on social media um, one to two times a day on every platform, um, and whether we're and we're always working on three to four different episodes. So we've always got an episode in circulation that's just been released that we're promoting. We have, you know, one to two recordings a week, um, that, you know, for future episodes that we're working on. Uh, and we always, are still trying to work on the schedule, you know, out. I, I mean, we're trying to work, I'm trying to, you know, have a schedule that's out two months, two to three months. Yeah. And then, uh, that's always in fluctuation. And then uh, we're always highlighting back episodes, so there's there's a lot going on. Yeah, our uh, my normal mo here, and uh, and it shows is uh, typically we'll record on like a Wednesday or Thursday, and uh, and drop on Monday. And still, what you're doing sounds more stressful to me. <laughs> uh, dude, I'm so uh, I'll, I'll probably hire a content manager before I take any kind of real paycheck off the podcast myself, I hate social media yeah. so much and it's so necessary. And, uh, I, I've many times said on the podcast, and maybe you've heard this on an episode that if being on TikTok is what is required to make this podcast successful, I will ultimately fail. Cause I refuse. <laughs> I'll play the Instagram game and some of the others, but, uh, TikTok, I, I can't do it. Yeah. They're trying to get me to do it. <laughs> I haven't made the leap yet. Uh, don't don't do it man don't don't care i I say that like uh continue to be successful don't listen to my advice but like i I just uh it's probably ridiculous the the china thing's too much for me with tiktok good that just that's a no-go for me yeah there's a i don't um i mean they already have your stuff so whatever (laughs) (laughs) 
like uh, oh, yeah. what are you gonna do what i mean what are they gonna get like yeah. cell phone imei okay <laughs> <laughs> well i've i've learned from uh, the terminal list though that if i use uh what is it three that i can keep them out of my messages now so thanks for that jack Carr. <laughs> i don't know I don't have anything to hide anymore. <laughs> uh, so you uh, you wrap uh, most of your podcasts uh, with the the same question. I, I probably won't do it justice. I'm probably not even going to word it right. But it's is it uh, is it uh, like the 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 three things that your guest does every day to to feed excellence? Do it the, do it the right way for me. I'm gonna do it wrong. <laughs> do it the right way. Um, yeah. So what I say is uh what i say is that we is that the jedbergs in world war ii had to do three things to be successful uh you could call them foundations you could call them uh uh, habits you know whatever you want to whatever you want to call them um but if they did these three things with the utmost precision uh, and they were highly competent in them then they could actually focus their attention on other challenges that came their way because they weren't focused on the core fundamentals. Those were just habits. It just happens. Uh, and so what I asked my guest is, what are the three things that you do every day to be successful in your world? All right. So the the only uh, interview question hackier than asking you to tell my listeners where they can find you uh, is to ask you your own question. So what uh, <laughs> what are your three things? <laughs> So we did, you know, we did this in episode 50. So episode 50 was my, was the one year episode. And I brought back our number one episode guest who happened to be a journalist, Cleo Stiller, wrote a book, episode seven called Modern Manhood, uh, about how to be a good man in the Me Too era. Nice. Um, and it was great. It was a great yeah. episode, still toward, near the top of our list. If not, she might even still be number one. Um, but uh, absolutely, you know, she was great. And so I met her in Denver. Uh, and she, uh, and she, uh, turned the episode on me and interviewed me nice. in the format that I interview everybody else yeah, for the awesome. episodes. It was pretty cool. Um, so what are my three foundations? Number one, make an action oriented list. Um, and what does that mean? So number one, people make lists. Uh, and why do I call it an action oriented list? Because, you know, I could have a list of a million things that I want to do, but I need to make a list of the things that are the most important that I'm actually going to execute and be able to get done. So that's number one. And I do that every night before I go to bed. Um, it doesn't matter really what time that is um, because I don't, I, I need to know what I'm going to do when I first wake up tomorrow morning. And that helps me to close out my day and be ready to start my new one. Um, the next thing is communicate effectively. Uh, and why do I say communicate effectively? Because we have to um, understand, uh, we have to understand who we're talking to and in in different uh, environments and what we're talking about and what the person on the other side of the conversation needs from us to effectively understand what we're saying to them. Um, Our last episode, episode 70, uh, was with um, Eric McNulty. He talks about meta leadership and he talks about meta leadership in, in terms of crisis management where you have to lead down, up, across, and beyond to other organizations. And that requires effective communication and understanding who's on the receiving end of what you're saying. It's good. Uh, and the third, the third one is act deliberately. Um, and why do I say act deliberately? Because if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. 
uh, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I'm a one or 10 guy. Um, one on the dial means uh, I don't really give a shit. Um, and you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to take an, an invest in, in some sort of stake in, in the outcome because I don't care. Uh, or uh, I'm a 10. And when I'm in, I'm in. And when I commit to doing something, I'm going to do it the best. I'm going to do it the best of my ability. And I'm going to do it to be number one. Uh, otherwise, why do it at all? And so when we commit to take an action, um, nothing should nothing should stop us from doing it the best that we can. So act deliberately. It's a good word. I like that. Now, if uh, if a solid seven listener is gonna gonna make the jump to a, a better podcast, now I know I know you don't have a favorite. <laughs> I know it's I know it's different strokes, but. Uh, somebody's like, yeah, man, I'd, I'd love to check out your podcast. What, what's the, where's the right episode to start? <laughs> start at one and listen all the way through, um, <laughs> on multiple devices, right? <laughs> multiple on, times. On every, please on, on every device. <laughs> um, I would, I, I would, I would tell you to pick a, uh, pick a genre. Yeah. Do you care about sports? Do you care about entrepreneurism? Uh, do you care about social activism? Do you care about mental health? Um, those are probably the you know the the, the big ones there. Um, and then and then get after it. Uh, you know, you're gonna learn something from all of these. Um, you know, and I think that uh, I cannot choose um, for somebody. I think you need they need to pick their genre. They need to think about um, what are they trying to get out of listen listening. Um, or do they just want to be entertained, you know? And if you just want to be entertained, that's cool too. Cause you know, you can really jump into any of ours and, and, and be entertained. Um, but I would say, uh, you know, figure out what, figure out what you want to take away. Um, it doesn't have to be that hard, uh, or just find topic that you like. Maybe it's lacrosse, maybe it's Afghanistan, maybe it's plant-based burgers, uh, you know, NFL, Major League Baseball. Do you wear a whoop? Um, <laughs> you know, is it, is it risk? You want to talk, you want to hear, you know, generals? We got generals. Uh, you care about boats, you know, fitness. Um, you know, you want to better yourself and, you know, talk about character. You want to talk about lockers. Um, we could talk about building lockers. We did some episodes on the Beijing Olympics. Um did episodes on fashion, politics, uh, Mike Vallely, if you like skateboards, um, was, is if you like, if you want a long one and you want to talk about everything about a guy, uh, and truly be inspired, Mike yeah. Vallely's a good one. To yeah. Go. Mike's an interesting um, dude for sure. So, yeah. So it's hard to, hard to say, but, yeah. uh, and if you don't want to listen and you want to watch, Go to our YouTube channel where our numbers suck on YouTube, <laughs> but uh, our videos are pretty good, especially all the videos that are starting from about episode 59. Um, we got some good ones before that uh, when I started doing them myself, which was earlier this year. But uh, but when we actually took on our content editor was uh, about 59. So they're actually pretty damn good. So check those out. That's awesome. Well, yeah, for sure. Solid seven listeners do that. All platforms, all your devices, listen to them all. Let them stream when you're not around. But I'll say for for my part, everybody approaches their podcast differently. But for me, yours is always one where it's uh, if I, you know, uh, it's 2022. I don't always have a notepad right next to me, but I keep my notes app handy. Like if you're not taking away something that uh, is maybe a bit of a revelation or something that's directly applicable 
um, to your life, then, then you're, then you're doing something wrong. That's, that's my take. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the goal. So the goal is, is can we create a platform where regardless of who you are and where you're coming from, if you listen to it, you'll take one thing away. Um, yeah. And if you listen to an episode and you don't take anything away, um, give me a call and, uh, we'll set up some, uh, personal mentorship and coaching (laughs) sessions for you too. Cause I got, I don't know what to tell you. Problems you. That sounds good, man. Well, dude, really appreciate you coming and doing this. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Now we we will have to rebook. We will have to do a return and and do a proper solid seven, just nonsense talk about whatever's going on episode with you at uh, some point. Pin, right. pin you pin you down on some news of the day, or or make you talk about a Marvel movie or something. But uh, <laughs> we, right. we do that some space great. too. I, I don't know how it. you feel about rockets, but uh, we hit on space pretty frequently. Uh, but uh, no, really, really enjoyed it. Listeners, legitimately, one hundred percent. If you haven't already, please, please, please go by and uh, and check out the podcast uh, on uh, you know the podcast app of your choice. Uh, they're they're everywhere, and then uh, on YouTube. Do do both for sure. Uh, I will do you the service of providing links to social media for the podcast and for uh, for Fran. And uh, I don't quite do the extensive show notes that that you do, but we'll provide links to the content down there for for the listeners. And of course, listeners, as always, we love you. We appreciate you. Stop by the the website solid seven podcast.com solid the number seven podcast.com there's links to our affiliates there i also uh, added a new thing just because it sounded like fun now when you're sponsored by companies like jersey mics you don't have to do things like this uh, <laughs> but i've added a, a buy me a jocko go link and uh i think it's pretty clever so <laughs> if you want to uh toss the pot a couple of bucks in support you can do that and patreon social media all that stuff uh, is right there on the website including links always to the latest episodes so stop by give us a thumbs up a follow a rating all those things help uh, you heard fran talk about the algorithm and it's real and uh the more hearts yeah. and thumbs up and stars we get the more the algorithm tells people about us and uh any any parting wisdom any parting words oh man now you put me on the spot i thought <laughs> we were closing out with you <laughs> Damn. um now what are the parting words look how you prepare today determines success tomorrow that's the tagline of the podcast so i truly believe that um we we got to wake up every day with a purpose we got to wake up every day with a vision we got to be going somewhere um, and even if we're taking a day off, uh, cause we need that too in our lives. Um, we need to be able to step back. We need to be able to relax. We need to spend time with our families and our friends. Um, and we got to reset and we got to move to the next ladder, uh, rung on that ladder. Um, but, uh, you know, think, think, think about today, invest in yourself, invest in your teams, invest in your organizations. You'll reap the benefits tomorrow. Awesome. Great spot to, to end on. Thanks brother. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks. Uh, we're out. Mm-hmm.